0: Welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Senior Editor Tom Valentino. And coming up July 30th through August 2nd, the National Conference on Addiction Disorders is going virtual. NCAD's the premier provider of continuing education for addiction, behavioral, and mental health professionals. And you can join clinicians and executives alike and work to improve and refine patient care, as well as develop sustainable and successful treatment organizations. Uh, For more information on NCAD, check out theaddictionconference.com. But in the meantime, today, we are joined by one of the many voices you're going to be hearing from at NCAD, Dr. Denny Carice, the Chief Science Officer for Recovery Centers of America. Denny, welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, so the topic of your presentation is going to be outcomes, measurement-based care, and technology in the new normal. Um, I know in this session, you're going to be diving into a few different surveys that have been uh, conducted earlier this year. One of them, I believe, is actually still ongoing. Set the stage for our listeners here. Tell us a little bit about who's been taking these surveys, who's conducting them. uh, You know, what do we need to know here?
1: Sure, and and these are so important because they're so timely, you know, to get information as The field is being impacted by COVID and to be able to report on that quickly. So this is a collaboration between the Psychiatry and Behavioral Health Learning Network and GLUE, another company called GLUE, and they put together a collaborative for advancement of recovery excellence and an advisory board, um, and they've been putting these surveys out. So the three I'll be talking about today, um, there was an initial one that was on the state of the industry, and that was... um, a year-long, you know, survey response rate um, up until about April of this year. Uh, there was one on behavioral health and recovery secondary to COVID, and that was, um, was um, uh, April-May. And then another one um, on the impact of COVID and the use of telehealth and outcomes, and that was May-June. The participants uh, range from um, providers, managers, directors. It's generally about half have and half for-profit, non-profit groups, um, and it's, it's pretty evenly divided to uh, outpatient only and all other sources of um, all other levels of care.
0: All right, so let, let's talk about value-based care and recovery-oriented care. I, I think most of our listeners understand what value-based care is, but just for the purpose of getting us all on the same page, uh, how do you define value-based care? Is this something that's replacing the fee-for-service model?
1: Um, it absolutely is. So, value-based care is essentially very different from what we know as volume-based care, right? So, fee-for-service is volume-based care that you were t- that you mentioned, Tom, and the value-based um uh, it's defined as reimbursement that's directly linked to some kind of performance that performance can be on cost measures quality measures patient experience ratings and and when when you hear that what you should hear is at risk you're going to some extent at risk but medicare has shifted 90% of their payments in for hospital visits to value based models and as does medicare often as does the rest of the country
0: just seems like it is so important uh to have good data to make this work and not just good data measuring outcomes, but, uh, you know, performance of care while uh, patients are, are in treatment. Um, and you know, even beyond that, not just measuring outcomes, but having some sort of standardized data across the field, right?
1: It is incredibly important. And I've been kind of singing this song for, for a decade or two now. And, um, you know, we're behind healthcare care in, in that, but we're also behind, you know, in other ways, including reimbursement levels and other things like that. But it, it really is um, something that we've got to be doing. And in order to develop a value-based contract, and that can be performance-based contracting, it can be shared savings, it can be a capitation rate, um, you know, you really have to know your data. So I remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, when... Um, when, uh, place, uh, behavioral, sorry, uh, insurance companies were starting to carve out their behavioral health dollars, that there was a company here who said, you know, we will take care of all your covered lives and for X amount of fee. And so they got a certain amount of money per covered life, regardless of whether they use services or not. Well, 3.4% of them use the service. That's a utilization rate. So that sounds pretty low to you and me, right? Sure yeah not if they estimated a one point seven utilization rate, so they had estimated that one point seven percent of people would need behavioral health substance use disorder, mental health services, and they had a three point four utilization rate. You cannot do these things without the data where you can say, Okay, let me see kind of where this is going what they're what they're offering you know that kind of thing and that capitation rates are pretty complex i 'll give you a more um kind of a more basic example. What let's say somebody says the insurance company says, you know, we know that if people stay an outpatient longer, they do better. So this here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna cut your payments heavily for the first eight visits and we're gonna pay you significantly more visit nine through, you know, forty or or whatever, you know, number of visits they pay for. You have to know what's your average length of stay, where is the breakdown? What are you currently collecting? Not what you're billing what you're collecting, because those are different. And you need to be able to apply the model they're suggesting, or, or you want to suggest a model, to exactly what happened, let's say, in the past year, to know whether or not you're going to lose your shirt or come, come out pretty well.
0: All right, I don't want to give away the store with regards to your presentation at NCAD, but I know there's a, a couple numbers that you're going to be citing that uh, kind of jumped off the page to me. Um, a significant disconnect, Uh, between the number of survey respondents who said that uh, collecting outcomes data is moderately to critically important versus the number who are actually doing it right now. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and I I do understand that, but half of the group said that they collect minimal outcomes. So 50% said, you know, we minimally collect outcomes. 76% said it was moderately to critically important. Um, I think that everybody knows it's important and I think that people want to do it, but they don't really know how to do it. There's not a, an automated or an inexpensive way to do it. It's, it's a lot of effort to do on top of, you know, delivering the care and what you're really paid for is the care you deliver, but we've got to be able to do it.
0: So do you have any advice for what providers, uh, what kind of steps they should be taking to prepare themselves and, uh, uh, you know, I- embrace this value-based model of care overall.
1: Well, I'm, I think one of the most important thing would thing would be your um, electronic health record. You know, try you've you've got to use an electronic health record, and if you're not doing that, just start there. But you also have to have access to your data from that record, not to charts and graphs that have been pre-programmed for you, but to your actual data. So that you can really figure out, you know, what your numbers are, you know, what percentage of people come back, you know, how long people stay. And that's what you discussed, you mentioned earlier as um, performance measures, the things that go on during treatment. In terms of outcome measures, the field's really got to get together and decide what are outcomes. I think we've really shot ourselves in the foot for a long time by looking at outcomes as um, what percent are continuously sober, or absent a year after treatment. That's, that's one outcome. But I'm going to tell you, while in a, in a clinical, personal way, it's the hugely important outcome from a behavioral contracting, from a showing our value perspective, it's only one of many. Many other things are important. Are they employed? Have they been rearrested? Have they been in the emergency room due to drug use? um you know are they paying taxes are they do they have health insurance are they, you know those are all very important
0: all right let's shift gears here a little bit obviously the covid-19 pandemic has impacted the field in unprecedented ways this year uh, let's talk about the financial impact uh, for starters you know seen some data from the national council uh, there's a lot of providers that are concerned uh, that they're in real peril right now uh, based on the data you've been studying um what's going on with regards to providers uh, admissions and in uh, revenue right now?
1: Um right so the um the one survey that we that was done that ended back in April um we one of the questions was you know what impact did you see on admissions last week and 62% had a decrease in admissions. Uh, 17% were about the same. Now, this is interesting. An additional 6% weren't taking admissions. So that bumps you up to 68% that either aren't taking any or saw a decrease in admissions. And um, I was interested to to see and happy to see there was only 7% said, you know, our revenue is down so much we might not be able to stay open. 50% said it's significantly down, but we can weather it. So, you know, people are absolutely struggling, but I think that there's a lot of hope. Um, Actually, when asked about how confident are you that you can sustain through the course of COVID, um, 44% said very confident, 35% said confident. Only 3% said not very confident or not at all confident.
0: All right. Well, one of the solutions that's uh, keeping a lot of companies afloat is telehealth. You know, some providers, I think, had already been building out their telehealth infrastructure prior to the pandemic. Uh, As we know for others, it's been a baptism by fire um with stay-at-home orders you know all signs and logic would point to there being a huge surge in the use of telehealth services since the start of the pandemic uh the numbers that you're looking at does that back that up
1: they actually do and one of the things i think is incredibly important is we look at why is telehealth so available now because prior to this it was not um as available You, you know sites were not Um, able to do it and get paid for it. So what happened was that when Trump declared a national emergency, it activated the Stafford Disaster Relief Act. And what that allowed for was many, many, many things, including the ability to provide telehealth services. So doctors, nurses, psychologists, social workers can all now offer telehealth services. And previously, um, when you got a telehealth services, it was predominantly done in rural areas. You actually had to drive to a treatment center where they would set you up in telehealth and somebody from a different treatment center would see you while you're there. Now you can get it from home. And the reason that's so important is because the Sanford Disaster Act, they always, national disaster emergencies ends. And so we have, there's groups of folks working very hard to keep this going. And there's a lot of good reason to keep it going. There's a lot of different benefits, but um, I'll tell you that um, looking at the Implementation of um, telehealth services. The, um, the, between the two surveys, there was between a 70 and 90% increase in telehealth services delivered by these treatment systems um, from, from one month to the next. So the, the survey that ended in April 16th, 72% of people say they're delivering an increase in telehealth. 89% said it by May 25th. So that's an inc- an incredible increase. And then the other thing that's so interesting was, you know, we asked them also, what percentage um, of services do you think you'll continue with? You know, uh, uh, after co- post-COVID, not that we all know when that is, but post-COVID. And 42% of sites said that we're going to continue to deliver telehealth services to about 25 to 50% of our patients. I-, I think that's great. There's no way before this this uh, pandemic, people were delivering telehealth services by at the at that level.
0: So it seems like there's there's some confidence in telehealth. Uh, the let's talk about is, is the quality of care consistent with what would otherwise be delivered in person? What what's the consensus there from providers?
1: Yeah, so that was um, some of the data that really surprised me. Um, When asked about versus in person, the quality of telehealth care is, 51% said it's about the same. And that actually really surprised me. That was not consistent with kind of my chats with folks, which is why we do research, right, to really get a good answer for that. Um, So 51% said it's the same, 7% said better, and 28% said that it's not as good. Um, And we're finding some studies now that show that it can be just as good. And, and, you know, we're not talking about replacing in-person care with telehealth down the road, but we're talking about supplementing it. And there's a hundred reasons. I mean, I'll just give you a few here that people may not have thought about. So here's a great example. There's patients in a residential program that's small. It's maybe 10, 20, 30 beds. That treatment center can't afford a psychiatrist on staff. But now they can get the patient, if needed, to see a psychiatrist through telehealth while they're in the residential care. There's patients that are afraid of the stigma of coming into a treatment center. There's maybe a patient who relapses and are afraid to come back to group in person. If they could do just one telehealth to find out nobody's going to gang up on them when they get back, we may be able to keep them in care. Um, there's supplementing care. Somebody might be able to attend once a week, but because of work or other obligations, they can only do a call in two other times. So they can have a a higher volume of treatments than if they were just relegated to only um, in-person treatment.
0: Telehealth's obviously done a lot of good. Are there uh, problems and other issues that uh, are still uh, creating a, a barrier to it? for some patients and um, some issues that still need to be worked through?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, you know, you would expect that with any um, type of service delivery that just skyrockets literally overnight. Um, and when we, when we talk to folks about what are the difficulties people have, what's the most challenging thing? Um, the most challenging were, and I think these are kind of the same, um, 39% said technical problems during the appointment, which I'm assuming is you know, problems with the Internet or whatnot. The tw- initial 28% said access to the Internet. So 40, 67% said it's access to the Internet and technical problems. And then 9%, interestingly, said one of the most challenging things for them was that the staff was not comfortable. So it's, it's very, very interesting, you know. And when asked kind of, all right, if you're having problems with it, tell me more about that. Um, Again, the largest percentage said access to the Internet. Um, Some people said age or generational issues. Um, And a bunch said that we don't notice a disparity between doing it and not doing it.
0: Interesting. So (laughs) as we, uh, you know, hopefully, eventually uh, get past the pandemic, I I know you cited the stat of the number of providers who are uh, looking to, you know, continue making this a big part of what they do. Um, what's the landscape going to look like overall uh, post-pandemic here, uh, you know, with regards to telehealth and uh, anything else that uh, you're thinking uh, could become our uh, our new normal here in the future?
1: Well, that's the that's big question, isn't it? You know, and well, what was interesting to me is that only 11% said they don't expect to do any telehealth. After the pandemic is over, um and so that was I think really hopeful you know and i I think what we need to do is a couple of things. first, we need to combine telemedicine with in person medicine you know it's we're no again nobody's saying we're going to replace it. There's a bunch of different ways that it can be supplemented, that it can be helpful to get people started, that it can be helpful for people who aren't sure if they have a problem that wouldn't come to treatment, so I think we're going to be able to treat far more people that are struggling with this disorder than we can right now. Um, I think the other thing is we need to really fight to keep this continuing um, even after kind of the disaster emergency ends. And then a, another big piece is that we need to find a way to tie in telehealth with outcomes. So you know, technically, it should actually be easier to collect outcomes in a telehealth situation. Because if somebody's dialing in or they're on the Internet, it would be very easy for, for them to, when they call in for a group, for example, you know, they have a six-question item piece there to answer, and then they get put right into group. There you are. You've collected your data. It's hopefully standardized data. Um, and you have that session after session for the people. So we need to really be thoughtful about tying in the data collection with the telehealth.
0: Well, Denny, you've uh, covered a lot of ground here today, and uh, folks, uh, if you've been interested in this, I would highly encourage you to uh, register for NCAD, and uh, you can hear uh, Denny Kreese go into uh, all of these topics uh, in a lot greater detail and uh, cover some other things as well. Um, Always great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Thanks, Tom. You
0: too. All right. Uh, That is Dr. Denny Carice from Recovery Centers of America. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the BHE podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also stream us on our website, uh, behavioral.net. That's going to do it for us. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast.